November 23, 2020, in Hillsborough, North Carolina, Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 22, Text 1. Shri Sukha Uvacha. Shri Sukadev Goswami said, Hemante, during the winter, Pratame, in the first, Masi, month, Nandavraja, of the coward village of Nanda Maharaja, Kamari Kaham, the unmarried young girls, Churuhu, performed Havishyam, unseasoned kitchen, Bunjanaha, subsisting on Katayani, the goddess Katayani, Archinavritam, a vow of worship. Translation. Sukadev Goswami said, during the first month of the winter season, the young unmarried girls of Gokula observed the vow of worshipping goddess Kachayani. For the entire month, they ate only unspiced kitchen. Purport, BBT purport. The word Hemante refers to the month of Magashirsha, from approximately the middle of November to the middle of December, according to the Western calendar. Actually, the winter season, there's two parts of the winter season. Hemanta is the first part, and then I think it's Garisha is the second part. So Garisha is also the dewy or the foggy season. So it's not our winter. They divide winter into two parts. In chapter 22 of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Srila Prabhupada comments that the gopis, quote, first ate Havishima, a kind of food prepared by boiling together mangdal and rice, with any spices or turmeric. According to Vedic injunction, this kind of food is recommended to purify the body before one enacts a ritualistic ceremony. Sukadeva Goswami said, during the first month of the winter season, the young unmarried girls of Lokula observed the vow of worshipping goddess Kachayani. For the entire month, they ate only unspiced kitchen. So I wanted to also go to Krishna book. So Prabhupada says, according to Vedic civilization, unmarried girls from 10 to 14 years of age are supposed to worship either Lord Shiva or goddess Durga in order to get a nice husband. But the unmarried girls of Vrindavana were already attracted by the beauty of Krishna. They were, however, engaged in the worship of goddess Durga in the beginning of the Hemanta season just prior to the winter season. The first month of Hemanta is Agrayana, so each season has two months. October, November, so Prabhupada is saying it's October, November, not November, December. It's the first month of Hemanta. Each, as I said, each season has two months, so they did this for one month. And at that time, all the unmarried gopis of Vrindavana began to worship goddess Durga with a vow. Uh, and here the rest of it was from the, uh, was quite recorded in the BET purport. So I thought I'd focus primarily on the Archana Vratam. So Archana means worship, and Vratam means vow, taking a vow of worship. And this uh, concept of devotees taking some kind of vow of worship is, of course, mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. 
So Krishna defines what is a Mahatma. Anybody know that verse? And so Krishna is there saying the Mahatma is one who's taking shelter under the internal potency. Now these gopis are all uh, definitely under the shelter of the internal potency. One could say they are all extensions of the internal potency. And then what does one do when one is a great soul under the shelter of the internal potency? The next verse is Bhagavad Gita, which is 914. So there we have Dridavrataha, and Drida means very, very great, very strong, a very strong vow. Like we read about Raghunath Das Goswami, that his mouths, or his austerities, were like lines in stone. Yes, they couldn't be erased. This very strong vow. And I thought, before we look at the vows of the devotees, we first look at Krishna's promises. Krishna also takes vows. This is a reciprocal relationship we're having with the Lord. It's not that just the devotee surrenders and Krishna just takes everything from them, uh, like some kind of exploitive dictator who just takes everything. Now, Krishna also makes vows to his devotees. So Krishna makes vows to his devotees, his devotees make vows to him, and then lastly I want to look specifically at these, uh, these gopis and their vow to Kajayani. So what are the promises that the Lord makes to his devotees? And what does that mean? My devotee will never perish. That, that's quite a vow, isn't it? Krishna is saying he will always protect his devotee. He will always give us protection. Is there anyone who can make such a promise other than Krishna? Who else? You can? Arjuna. Arjuna. Well, okay, Arjuna made the promise. Yes. But I, Arjuna can't make that promise independent of Krishna. Right? Arjuna did make that promise, actually, to one Brahmana, didn't he? Mm-hmm. I'll always protect your children. And was Arjuna able to do that on his own? No. Right? He said, I'll, I'll enter into the fire. He said, I'll enter the fire if I can't protect your children. And he couldn't. He went to all the planets of the universe to try to find his child. He couldn't prevent the child from being taken away. And he couldn't find the child anywhere. And it was only when Krishna took him beyond the universe that he was able to find the child. I was just reading in Bhagavatam about Lord Shiva, how the uh, Maya Dhanava made these three flying cities. And Sadhguru in his book, Alien Identity, talks about this, the three flying cities of the demons. And Lord Shiva destroyed all of them. And then what happened? Mayadhanava just took all the dead demon bodies and stuck them in a well of nectar and brought them back to life. And Lord Shiva was defeated. Lord Shiva wasn't able to protect the demigods. It was only when Vishnu and Brahma took the form of a cow and a calf and drank all the well of nectar and Mayadhanava having some uh, aspects of Vedic civilization wasn't going to stop a cow and a calf from drinking his well of nectar. He's like, let the cow do what she wants. Not like our modern demons who... Or eating the cows, etc. And then Lord Shiva was able to destroy the residences of the demons. Uh, but only Krishna can give this, and, and think about this, right? We're, we're always scared about uh, some kind of harm, isn't it? We're constantly living in fear. 
of some kind of harm. And we're very fragile beings. Our bodies are extremely fragile. Isn't it a fact? Our minds are extremely fragile. A person's mind can snap uh, very easily or you get one stroke and we lose everything to get dementia or whatever. Our bodies are fragile. Our minds are fragile. All of our relationships are very fragile. Our money is very fragile. Isn't it? Our buildings, yes. Uh, none of these things, they're all fallible soldiers. Our body's a fallible soldier. Our mind is a fallible soldier. Our family and friends, society, friendship and love, they're all fallible soldiers. Our possessions, our buildings, our cars, our computers, they're all fallible soldiers. Uh, but Krishna says, I will protect. What's some other vows Krishna makes for his devotees? Oh,
He's saying that if we meditate on him, we're just about to start the study of chapter 6 of Bhakti Shastri, that one will see the pure mind, uh, one will see the self by the pure mind, one will relish and rejoice in the self, that one will be never shaken from the truth, even in the greatest difficulties. This indeed is freedom from all miseries caused by our material contact. So he's promising to take away all of our sinful reactions, to relieve us of all miseries, to take us back home, back to Godhead, from which we never need to return to this world, to reciprocate with us accordingly, to protect us in all circumstances. These are the vows that Krishna makes to his devotees. So, you know, when I really meditated on this, it was actually kind of, it was actually kind of an emotional thing, what Krishna is promising. You know, if we think about some ordinary exchange of vows, like at a wedding, it, it's kind of equal, isn't it? What the two partners promise to each other. But how can we equal what Krishna promises to us? Yes, the other day you were reading about Krishna's friend, the, cow, the cloud, almost the exact verse in uh, chapter 21 and chapter 35. And the cloud, as Krishna's friend, is trying to satisfy the desires of Krishna. But what can I give to Krishna? What vow can I make? And I was thinking of this um, this verse by, I believe by Rupa Goswami. Bhakti, you know, quotes it in his uh, Bhajana Rahasya as part of the daily puja. Oh, your lordships, I am certainly the abode of many offenses, and I am completely devoid of any devotional practices. I don't have any other shelter, therefore I regard you as my ultimate goal. So if we see ourselves uh, with humility, with honesty, then we'll see that I, I, I don't do anything with devotion. Like even Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, I don't have a drop of love for Krishna, how would I be able to live in his absence? If we, if we see that in the reading in Manashiksha, uh, verse 7, six, verse 6, about how we fool ourselves, that we think we're doing so much service, but our real motives are different. Our motives are, are profit, adoration, distinction, or maybe our motive is just to get some nice prasad to eat in a warm place to sleep. You know, we have, we have all, all different kinds of motives rather than to please Krishna. And therefore, the vows we take in the service may be vows just, you know, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And we, we see even then, I mean, just honestly, that uh, I don't know what the, the percentage is. I don't, I don't know if Brooke did a survey, but I don't know if we have some real solid sociological data. But we, we just know informally anecdotally, that not everybody who takes first initiation keeps their vows. We, we know that. And so many devotees, they say, no, I, you know, I don't chant my vows anymore, it's just a burden, or, you know, I try to chant here and there. Oh, did you chant it today? Oh, no, I didn't get to it. You know, it's very, uh, it's, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. People. And, you know, it, it's interesting, I remember I was at a program once in Europe, I don't know exactly where, and uh, I met one lady who said, yeah, yeah, you know, I joined ISKCON for a while, and I took initiation, and then, you know, checked it out for a while. And I thought, wow, she was thinking of it as, you know, something to just try. Even taking initiation, well, I'll try that. Tried it for a year. And I was kind of shocked. I was like, wow, you, know, you didn't take it as a lifetime vow. 
but even those of us who may be very proud, you know, I've always chanted my 16 mountains and my trees, and I've always followed regular principles, and I always read Chula Prophet's books. Again, if you look into our heart, you know, have I always chanted with attention? Have I always chanted with love? Have I even given up the, the subtle forms of the, of the regular principles? Um, do I try to chant without offense? What, what's my mood? I mean, at least I can say for myself, I, I don't think on that level I've kept anything. And I think this, this statement that, that my people know quotes, I've never done any devotion. I don't have any sudden. I don't have any devotion. I, I really can't offer you Krishna any now in return. But the devotees tried to do that, so we, we try. And the devotees take sometimes temporary vows. Sometimes devotees take vows of like three days or a week. Bhakti Nuna actually writes about this, that one can take a vow for three days, and then I think he says for a month, and then three months. So I had uh, the, the dharma of the Vanaprasta actually is tapasya, and I went for many, many years regularly taking different vows. And I found that having that system following Bhakti Vinod was very helpful, like to take a vow for three days, and then I would evaluate it, well, how did I do? Was I able to keep the vow? Maybe I should adjust it then take a vow for a week and then evaluate it and then maybe adjust that and take a vow for two weeks and adjust that. And some vows I kept for many years. And when there was one vow I kept for three years. And then I was ordered by two devotees to stop following that vow. Don't follow that vow anymore. And I've missed it ever since. It was a very nice vow. So there's all different uh, temporary vows that devotees may take. Devotees may take vows just for a codice. They're going to chant extra rounds. Or I think you said you don't look at the news on a codice. You know, so people may take some vows like that. Or people may take a vow, you know, I'm, I'm going to chant my 16 rounds before I do this, that, and the other thing. You know, or people may take a vow for a month, like here the, the American Gopis are taking a vow for a month. So people may take a vow for Karti. And people take vows for Kurushottamas. And, and then there are the lifetime vows. Right. Uh, it's interesting in the research that we've been doing in the Shastra Advisory Council into the Brahma Gayatri Mantra. So we were asked by the GPC to look at the, this mantra in the Gaudiya Sampradaya as a whole. We also looked uh, to some extent at Sri Sampradaya. And it turns out that this taking of lifetime vows at the time of initiation as a general thing for all disciples who all take the same lifetime vows is unique to a Sabbath, not just when we go. Um, we don't find this in any other branch of the, of the Kodiya Sampradaya. And we do find groups that are kind of parallel to ISKCON, that had some um, beginnings in ISKCON. There are a number of groups that where the leader is, uh, used to be an ISKCON member or had some association with ISKCON. They may also have disciples take vows at the time of initiation. But generally that is not done. Uh, and if people take vows, it's on an individual uh, basis and it's not done and connection with, with Diksha. So I thought that was very interesting. But there are also lifetime vows, like we have, you know, the vow of Brahmacharya can be taken for three days. It can be taken until one finishes one's studies, or it can be taken for life. And like Bhishma took this great vow of Brahmacharya for life. And uh, we can't, there, there's no possibility that we can take any vow that is equivalent to Krishna's vows to us. It, it's just not possible. You know, what he's promising us and what I'm promising him, it, it's, it's not even in the same universe. 
I'll protect you, I'll take you out of the ocean of birth and death. All right, I'll be a vegetarian. You know, it's like, what is the, what are we talking about here? Or even, you know, I'll worship you every day. What am I giving you? Some incense, a lamp, a flower? <laughs> I, I mean, it's the, the meaning of it. So what does it mean for the devotees to take these vows? Why do the devotees take these vows? It's at least indicative of some sincerity, eh? some gratitude, some... Uh, you know, Prabhupada often uses this word sincere. If we try to talk about what's sincere, we'd say the first thing is you show up, you're there, you're dependable, you're reliable. And the first measure of sincerity is showing up. Somebody signs up for a cooking class and they never show up. Or, or paying the fee, something. So we take these vows as some measure of sincerity. Yeah, and, and we should try. I know it's Kali Yuga, and I know we're just human beings in Kali Yuga, and you know, we're lucky as human beings in Kali Yuga if we can do Svalpa, just a little bit of bhakti. That's another thing Krishna says. You do just a little bit of bhakti, you never lose it. So I know it's very hard in Kali Yuga for anybody to keep any kind of vows, but at least we should uh, make it something serious, that I promise this to my spiritual master, I promise this in front of the fire, I promise this to the Lord. Let me at least keep these vows. Even sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's easy, sometimes maybe I don't keep them very well, but let me at least keep these vows. So a little reciprocation with Krishna, something. Let me try to do something for Krishna, something for my spiritualness. And I know it's hard. We're, we're all, uh, we have human bodies which are not very uh, elevated, or the lowest of the middle planetary systems. Um, especially Mandasamanda Matayo and Kalamuga. You know, it, it's, it's really astonishing if we can do anything. I was just reading in the uh, in the Bhagavatam, in the seventh uh, canto, I think it's chapter 11, about the varnas, and Prabhupada's talking about people outside the varnas who have behavior that's not considered sinful among themselves, and therefore they don't get sinful reaction for it. It's really interesting. Like drinking wine and having illicit behavior. So the, the, because these people don't consider it sinful among themselves, it, it's not considered sinful. I was like, well, that's really interesting. So, you know, I, I know that we're all very unqualified. I mean, it's, it's one way I deal with my own uh, feelings of guilt and shame with how, how little I do for sure Prabhupada. And then I just say, you know, I'm like, you're a human being in Kali Yuga. <laughs> you know? So I, we're all human beings in Kali Yuga, at least as far as I know. Right? But, so. uh, at the same time, at least we can do that. You know, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no eating, no gambling, minimum of 16 hours trying to avoid and those of us who take the Gayatri diction uh, to chant the Gayatri three times a day at the proper time with proper meditation. At least we can try to do that. And to, to work on uh, getting rid of the offenses on chanting, especially not to offend the devotees. I know I read out that Burjah Prabhu said that one time he decided to take a vow in Karti that he wouldn't criticize anybody during the whole Karti. And after a few days he realized he wasn't able to maintain the vow. So as I have a bit of a competitive spirit, 
So one Karthi came, I was in Govardhan, and I said, I can't take that vow. And all that happened is constantly Krishna in the heart was informing me of all the critical thoughts I was having. So it was like he was flagging them. You understand? So all day long, Krishna was flagging. That was a critical thought. 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 And after about 10 days, I was exhausted. And I'm like, okay, okay. Take this out later on in my spiritual life. I give up. But at least we can, we can do our best to, to work towards that. And if there's something that we're really struggling with, and if there's some area of our spiritual life, something we're struggling to do or something we're struggling not to do, then we can also try uh, short-term vows. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll do this for a day, I'll do it for, or I won't do this for a day, or I'll minimize it. I'll do it for three days, and then I really like Bhakti Vinod's program like that as a way to get rid of bad habits, or a way to take out uh, good habits. And it's important that the vows we take, Prabhupada Nectar Devotion, when he talks about over-endeavoring, he said not to take up spiritual practices that you can't maintain. So this is also very important, you know, that we, we don't want to take a vow and then chant 120 hours a day and we read Prophet's books for six hours a day and then we have no time to sleep and we can't maintain it. So to take on things that we can't maintain. It's more important to be steady uh, than to be something, have some big fireworks and then go out. So I wanted to look a little bit at this specific vow of the gopis, of the unmarried gopis. So both Sanatana Goswami and Jiva Goswami are really focused on the fact that the gopis taking this vow are the unmarried gopis, and they say in the previous chapter, the focus was on the married gopis. And what do you think Jiva Goswami talks about in his commentary about unmarried versus married gopis? It's a long-standing controversy. So Jiva Goswami says, all the gopis are married to Krishna. Jiva Goswami does not accept the concept that some of the gopis are married to somebody else. And this, this is, it's a point of departure between Jiva Goswami and our other Gaudiya channels. In the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, there's, uh, no, in the Ujjwala Nilamani, in the, toward the beginning, there's long, long commentaries by Jiva Goswami, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, where Vishnu Chakravati Thakur is trying to hermeneutically deal with Jiva Goswami's assertions that all of the gopis are actually Krishna's wives. So in Jiva Goswami's commentary on today's verse, which is quite long, and I decided not to read the commentary, but I would refer you to it, he gives his arguments as to why all the gopis are married to Krishna. And so this vow of the unmarried gopis to have Krishna as their husband is, uh, is, is a universal thing. And then he says, well, how do we adjust the fact that some of the gopis do appear to be married? And he just says those are illusory marriages with some kind of expansion, and he gives evidence for that, but that actually they're all just married to Krishna. So uh, this is, uh, of course, Jiva Goswami had a very specific reason for preaching like that, because at that time, there was a lot of licentiousness done by persons in the name of following Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And so Jiva Goswami wanted to kind of cut out the foundation of what these people was doing, were doing. But it is quite interesting, his arguments, and again, we don't have time today. And I, I decided, it was, should I focus that today or not? I decided not to. Uh, but there's, uh, if you read Jiva Goswami's commentary, you'll see how he gives his hermeneutic reasons 
for his conclusion, and if you go to Utah Money, you see the homemakers given by the Shunachan Money Town Court, and Yuko Swami as to their different positions. And it's interesting, the food that they eat, which Shiva Prabhupada describes as mangdal and rice without turmeric or spices, Sanatana Goswami describes as being made of milk, yogurt, and grains that can be harvested in the Himalaya season. So I already talked a little bit about the season, and I was also tempted to have another class about six seasons of Mandala. Uh, but this is, it's, it's two lunar months that occur in early winter, and there's another two lunar months that occur in late winter. And in each of the seasons, there are certain activities that go on, and these seasons exist simultaneously in the spiritual world. So as Krishna travels through the forest yesterday, Krishna Priya, when she was talking about Gopastami, I was really struck with the fact that as Krishna's family was moving from one part of Vrindavan to another, how they were going through the 12 forests. And now Krishna likes to visit each of the 12 forests, Bahulavan and Talavan and so forth. But there's also six seasonal forests. And then there's, a, there's also another three seasonal forests that combine seasons, like there's a forest that combines the early winter season and the late winter season, and then there's a forest where you can find all six seasons simultaneously. Right, so vows should also be taken according to the season. So we see with the gopis, the vows are taken according to our person, the gopis are not married, right, the, the uh, kanya, they're, they're maidens, so therefore, they're taking a vow to marry Krishna. So one should take vows according to one's particular circumstance. Like a grahasta shouldn't take the same kind of vows as a sannyasi. Right? If a grahasta takes a vow, I'm not going to talk to any women for a month, so his wife might not be very happy. Or if he has any daughters, he might not be And it wouldn't be appropriate. What's an appropriate vow for a brahmachari is not necessarily an appropriate vow for a manapras. So what's appropriate vow depends on our particular circumstance. Then they took a vow according to the season. So different vows may be appropriate at different times. Just like that vow I had for three years that I was told by uh, two devotees who I highly respect. Uh, that was appropriate at that time, but now it's no longer an appropriate vow you should be So different vows are appropriate at different times. And we also see that a lot of vows involve food like the uh, four stages of sannyas have to do a lot with food, isn't it? Where you get your food, isn't that interesting? The vows during Chaturmasya, when the uh, traveling preachers can't travel, are very connected with food. With a lot of our festival days, a lot of our vows are again connected with food. I find that very So many times vows are connected with food. Like, I've, I've taken vows, you know, I'm not going to eat any desserts or sweets for a certain amount of time. So, vows are connected with who we are, and who we are at this moment, who we are in our particular stage of advancement, who we are in our ashram, who we are in our varna, who we are in our service. Our vows are often connected with food or some kind of sensory satisfaction. Our vows are often connected with time. And our vows all have a particular deity. So here are the deities of the gopi. Who's the deity that they worship? Kajayani. And Shiva Prabhupada identifies her in Krishna book with Durga. Sanatana Goswami identifies her with Parvati. It's the same person, but different mood. Parvati has a little different mood than when she's Durga. And uh, Jiva Goswami calls her Vaishnavi. 
Yes, also Vaishnava. So uh, a particular a deity that one is worshipping, uh, one is not necessarily always directing one's vows at Krishna. One may be directing one's vows at one's guru. Or one may be directing one's vows at a particular saintly person. One may be trying to please Rupa Goswami. Raghunath, like when we were compiling Manashiksha, my view was very much to please Raghunath Goswami Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Right? We've, uh, in the uh, Radha Seva project, we've done restoration work at different places, and we're often trying to please the particular personality that's associated with that place. And then there's the sankalpa of the vow. What do you want to achieve? So what is their sankalpa? They want to get married to Krishna. They want Krishna. No one else. No one else. One-pointed. Yes, it's one-pointed vow. So we have to have a sankalpa. Right, when we were studying in Bhakti Shastri and the students were asking, well, it seems that if you do this, you go to the heavenly planets. It also it seems if you do this, you go to the Brahman. It also seems if you do this, you go back to Godhead. And I said, well, a lot of it depends on your sankalpa. What are you doing it for? Are you putting money in the donation box so that, you know, you'll be rich in the future? Or are you putting your money in the donation box because you want to please Krishna? Are you putting money in the donation box so you'll be free from your cancer? Well, what's your sankalpa? Just like I like to give that example of Ramdas Vilas, who was traveling with Raghunath Bhatta and chanting Ram, 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 Ram. But his sankalpa was merging, and therefore Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did pay him very much attention. So if we could live each day with the a deep gratitude, it's hard to maintain this, you know, but with a deep gratitude of the vows that Krishna is making to me. And these aren't one-day vows, three-day vows, one-month vows, one-lifetime vows. They're eternal vows. The vows that Krishna's making to me eternally. And what vows am I making to him? That I may make for a day, I may make it for a week, or even one little puny spotlight. It's about what cost. And then to make vows that are appropriate, that I can keep, that are meaningful to me, with proper mentality. And then to do my level best as a fallen human being in calling her to keep that. So thank you. Questions, comments? Yes, Marsh. In the Ramanuja Sampradaya, and also in, in our Sampradaya, well, the Madhva Sampradaya, they don't allow anyone to take the vows in the Asana unless they're the Sag- Sagittarius and Lagna. Huh. Interesting. So Mars is saying in the Ramanuja Sampradaya, you can't take you can't take vows as a sannyasi unless you have a Sagittarius Lagna, a Sagittarius Rasa. It's interesting also that they're isolating just the Lagna. You know, I would think that they'd also want to look at the position of Saturn. They probably do, but, but that's the most important. They take that as most important? Yeah. Interesting. You know, again, I would think that they'd also look at the, the moon Lagna. Sagittarius is. Yeah, I know what Sagittarius Wouldn't that That's your birth. Yeah, but that but that's looking that's looking at the at your guna. Yeah. Looking at your astrology is definitely looking at your guna. But I'm surprised they put so much attention to that one thing. You know, I guess I would look at the, the 12th house Saturn, the moon Lugna, and so many other things. 
they take that as most important.